You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by Pro Prep, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And on this edition, we're going to be reflecting on Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2. Coming to you around about an hour after the full-time whistle, it's our Raw Reaction show, uh, Raw Reaction podcast. And I am really frustrated, really disappointed with how things turned out tonight. I've got to be honest. Um, you know, people were asking me in the lead up to this game, was it a free hit? Because a lot of people kind of jumped on me when I said that Liverpool was a free hit. And I made it very, very clear that I didn't feel that tonight was. You know, I thought that tonight was a game from which we could get something, probably should have got something. I think when you watch the way the game unfolded and you watch how I think poor Manchester United were at times, you can't help but be really downbeat about the fact that we've come away from Old Trafford completely empty-handed this evening. I, I can't shake that feeling at the moment and maybe in time it will ease up, it will lighten up and maybe when I watch the game back again tomorrow and bring you the tactical analysis show, I'll have a, a different view or... No, not a different view, but maybe my view or stance will soften. I don't know. But... I mean, there's a lot to unpack from this game, so let's not waste too much time with the kind of uh, introduction part of the show. Let's let's get right into it. And let's start with the team that Mikel Arteta selected tonight. There were a couple of surprises in there for me. There were a couple of selections that, uh, you know, I didn't expect, I've got to say. Um, I wasn't sure that Nuno Tavares was going to continue at left-back, but he did. I didn't see Mohamed Elneny coming into the side, I've got to be honest with you. Um, and I didn't see... Gabriel Martinelli coming in on the right. Now, I talked about that possibility in the preview show um, on Thursday morning, but I wasn't convinced myself that that was the option Mikel Arteta was going to go for. And we'll, we'll come on to talk about individuals a little bit later on. But just to kind of reiterate and just remind you of the team that started the game for Arsenal this evening was Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Back four of Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel and Tavares, Martinelli, Partey, Elneny, Smith-Rowe and Odegaard were across the midfield with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang up front. Bukayo Saka was fit enough for the bench. Alexander Lacazette was also on the bench. Maitland-Niles too. There was no Burn Leno on the bench. He was missing uh, with a tight muscle. That was the word uh, given by the club. I think it was a groin uh, that they specified off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it was a tight groin. Um, so Arthur Okonkwo was on the bench uh, as the backup goalkeeper. Interestingly. No Bukayo Saka in the starting lineup, but no Nicola Pepe coming in to replace him. And I wonder if, um, you know, we can say now for sure that Nicolas Pepe has fallen uh, further down the pecking order and isn't in a place now where he's got a long way to go before he's convincing Mikel Arteta he's worthy of getting back into that starting lineup. Really, really interesting to see that even when Arsenal were chasing a goal at the end, Eddie Nketiah, who we heard yesterday has rejected Arsenal's latest contract offer, was still picked ahead of him and was deployed in a slightly wide of centre role, a role that you feel 
would suit Nicola Pepe more. But the fact he was overlooked for somebody who's clearly not intent on staying at the club probably tells us quite a bit about where Mikel Arteta is at in terms of Nicolas Pepe at this moment in time. So that was the starting lineup. And I looked across at Manchester United's team um, and it was pretty much what we thought, you know, that double pivot of McTominay and Fred. Harry Maguire came back into the side. You looked at the two fullbacks, Dallow and Tellez, and felt that those were two areas in which Arsenal could potentially get some joy. It was that trio of Rashford, Bruno Fernandes and Sancho in behind Cristiano Ronaldo. And we know the quality that Manchester United possess in those areas. But Arsenal started the game really, really well, I thought. We looked in control. We looked comfortable. And, you know, we we had a, a few set pieces, a few corners. And you can see now Arsenal, or you at least feel like Arsenal in recent times have been more of a threat from set-piece situations. So to see us get so many tonight and not really make anything of them was a little bit frustrating, I must say. But then Arsenal took the lead. And Arsenal took the lead through Emil Smith-Rowe. And look, the Manchester United uh, supporters, players, coaching staff were all frustrated by the nature of the goal. All of them felt that it shouldn't have stood at the time. But I think if they look back at it in the cold light of day, when they take out the emotion from the moment and watch it back, they'll all agree that in the end, the right decision was reached. And I said this kind of tongue in cheek going into this game. You know, when you play Manchester United at Old Trafford, you're not just playing Manchester United, you're playing against the officials as well. And my word, I mean, it was as if they did everything within their power to to try not to give that goal. I mean, Martin Atkinson, how he's not, you know, he's not blown the whistle there, right? He's let the ball go in and then he's questioning whether it's a goal or not. And that was a kind of what I would say is is a prime example of when the referee is kind of leaning on VAR. And we talk a lot about the on-the-field referee having the power and that they should have the power. But when you give them all of the power, you will get bad decisions. You will get shocking decisions. Martin Atkinson blows his whistle just after the ball goes into the back of the net and it's too late. You know, Manchester United were complaining about it. Manchester United were crowding around the referee. I'm sorry, but Fred is the man who takes out David De Gea. Why on earth with an opposition player, with an opportunity to shoot from the edge of the penalty area, pass up that opportunity because a Manchester United player has decided to take out his own goalkeeper? I couldn't understand the kind of the protests about that. I couldn't understand the complaints. Um, Ali McCoist on Amazon Prime was saying that oh, the referee would have uh, been better off blowing the whistle early. No, he wouldn't have. Because he, when he had been looked back at and it would have come to light that actually it was Fred that took out the goalkeeper, he'd have looked pretty bloody stupid. And we as Arsenal fans would have been fuming. We'd have been livid. So in the end, the right decision was made. But it just feels like the standard of refereeing is getting worse and worse. And when you're at Old Trafford, you know, you're always going to get things going against you. Fortunately for us, um, you know, in the end, the VAR stepped in. Right, just before uh, we continue, I can see a lot of you are giving me grief um, in the chat about, well, some of you saying uh, that I'm uh, defending. We cannot, look at this one. No Arsenal, no life. Typical Harry defending Arteta. You're just as bad as Gunnerblog, fat boy. Um, first of all, I haven't even mentioned Mikel Arteta yet, let alone defended the guy. Uh, so obviously, mate, you've got uh, your knickers in a twist on this Thursday night. Uh, it's probably past your bedtime anyway. So then no wonder you're a bit ratty. Uh, get off the stream, man. Um, anyway, moving on. We we then, I thought, 
did pretty well. I think we we controlled the game to a degree, but the big worry and the big concern and the big frustration for me was the way we were just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And it feels to me like this is something that is a common occurrence with Mikel Arteta's side, right? And I don't know how much of it is instruction, how much of it is a lack of confidence in the players, how much of it is inexperience. But we seem to, when we get into positions of strength, almost want to kind of, you know, just just sit back and be really, really cautious. And then in the end, we just invite pressure on ourselves. And I think we were in a position of strength. We were playing against Manchester United, a side who hadn't got going, who hadn't really produced anything up until that point. But you know, have the ability in the likes of Ronaldo, Fernandez, Sancho to cause you problems, to, to produce those moments. So for me, when you're 1-0 up and they're not posing you any threat, you need to continue trying to be dominant. You need to be that bit braver. And I'm not just talking about tonight with that, because it's something that we've seen happen time and time again with Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, even against some of the weaker sides. I mean, if you think about some of the games that we've played really well in this season, if you think about Leicester, I thought we did that. I thought we we dropped back and we kind of allowed them to have a lot more play after we'd taken that two-goal lead than really they needed or, or we should have been allowing them. If you think back to the game against Aston Villa, in the Premier League at the Emirates Stadium. Again, we kind of dropped off after we took the lead. If you think about the Spurs game, again, in the second half, we were very kind of cautious. And and that was, you know, for me, frustrating. If, if you're in a position of strength, the best teams, the biggest teams, they are ruthless. And they go out there and they continue to impose themselves and and. You know, it's like kicking someone when they're down, right? You you knock them down with the opening goal. You keep kicking them. You keep hurting them. You keep pushing them back and you keep chipping away at them. You probably end up with a second goal as well. But Arsenal just retreated and retreated and retreated. And again, I can't say for sure what that's down to. I don't know if it is because Arsenal have been instructed to do that. I don't know if it is inexperience. I don't know if it's a lack of belief within the group itself, but you've got to be, you, you know, you've got to be more confident and you've got to try. And when you are on top, cash in on that and maximise that advantage. And it just feels like we're not doing that. Manchester United obviously um, managed to get the goal back right on the stroke of half time through Bruno Fernandes. I thought Ben White probably could have done a little bit better in his clearance there, which ultimately led to the goal. But we went in at half time. 1-1, Old Trafford, you know, I said in the lead up to the game, I'd have been quite content with a draw. And then the second half starts. And again, Arsenal, from the first couple of minutes in the second half, looked a little bit more um, adventurous again. You know, we won a couple of corners at the start of the second period again because we were pressing high up the pitch. We were being a little braver uh, in possession, only to then get caught out on the 52nd minute. A really good United move down the right-hand side, cut back to Cristiano Ronaldo, who's never going to miss from that position. And all of a sudden, you're sitting here thinking, you know, this is frustrating. You know, we've we've gone in at half-time. We were in front in this game, and we've kind of slowly, slowly surrendered that momentum to a Manchester United side that aren't formidable, aren't that great. You know, I can see Cos in the chat is a Man United fan. He says, you couldn't live with Man United tonight. I don't think that was the case. I think we gifted 
Manchester United the three points tonight. Martin Odegaard gifted Manchester United, um, you know, three points tonight. And, and that's the bottom line. And we'll come on to talk about him and some more individuals in a little bit. But having then gone 2-1 down, we go up the other end and we score. And we score instantly. I think it was a couple of minutes afterwards. We score, we get back on level terms and you're sitting there thinking, right, it wasn't ideal that we found ourselves 2-1 down, having been 1-0 up. But there's a bit of character there. There's a bit of resilience. Arsenal have gone and, and they've responded. And so often in years gone by, we haven't responded to situations like that. So to be able to do it, I felt like, yeah, you know, this is brilliant. And now... I'd be happy if we got out of here with a point. You know, at one stage, you're looking at it and you're thinking we're 1-0 up. Yeah, we're in a position to win the game. Let's try and get all three points. Of course, you won all three points. But there comes a point where that momentum completely shifts in Manchester United's favour. You manage to wrestle it back and you go, OK, well, we're here now. Let's just see it out. Let's just see it out. And let's just, um, you know, make sure that we get back to London with at least a point in the bag um, and we continue to sort of uh, stay, you know, on a pretty decent run of form. I said before, look, nobody has any divine right to go to Old Trafford and win. It's still Old Trafford. I don't care if Man United have been on a poor run of form. The players I've mentioned that they have in the forward positions are just of a totally different calibre to the ones that we have. You know, that's the bottom line. I mean, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I know he was offside in the end, but he spurned a glorious opportunity. He had a couple of other efforts from which he needed to do much better. Gabriel Martinelli gets into the final third, gets into the box, gets into a wonderful position in the first half and doesn't have the quality in the end to finish it. You know, we had opportunities. We created, still not enough, but we created more than I thought we were probably going to create at Old Trafford. Yet we were unable to take advantage of those situations, whereas Manchester United, down the other end, very, very efficient in front of goal, um, making sure that they took those opportunities. And ultimately, that is nothing to do with who's in the dugout. That is to do with the quality of player that you have at your disposal. And to kind of emphasise or highlight the fact that Manchester United were, were more efficient in the final third, they had 14 shots at goal in comparison to our 17. We had 55% possession in the end. We had eight shots on target. Arsenal went to Old Trafford and went toe-to-toe with Manchester United. But ultimately, the quality told. The quality told in the end. You know, and, and people will say that I'm I'm defending Arteta. I'm not. Um, I, I do think Arteta probably got a couple of things wrong tonight, which we'll uh, come on to talk about in a little bit. But I'm, I'm simply making the point that in years gone by or, or in months gone by under Mikel Arteta, the common thing that gets thrown at me is, We don't create chances. We don't have shots at goal. We're never in the game. We go away to these big sides and we get completely and utterly dominated and we just get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Well, I would say to you tonight that actually that is not true. You know, the facts tell you that that is not true. I'm going to do my Rafa Benitez here. The facts say that Arsenal went to Old Trafford tonight and had the lion's share of possession. The facts say that Arsenal went to Old Trafford and had more attempts at goal than Manchester United did. The problem is there's a lack of quality and Manchester United have that quality in their ranks. And when those opportunities come along, they have the ability to take them, whereas Arsenal simply don't. 
And we keep talking about this rebuild and we keep talking about the next phase of this rebuild. And it's clear that we need to improve in the attacking areas. Nobody's denied that by saying that we're quite pleased with some elements of what we've seen from Arsenal in recent months. Doesn't mean we're pleased with every element. Doesn't mean we don't recognise that there are things that need to be improved upon. So, yeah, that's, that's you know, and, and then when you get back to 2-2 and, you, and you're kind of in that position and you think to yourself, well, let's get out of here, let's get a point and we build from it and we continue uh, to, you know, to kind of show people that we are, at least moving in the right direction. If you go to Old Trafford and you get a result, then you can you can look back at Anfield and you can say, well, Anfield was a blip. But if you go to Old Trafford and you lose, then the naysayers uh, come up again. And then the doubts creep in. And then people start to question whether or not this project is actually working, whether Arsenal are moving in the right direction. And so for me, it was really important that, that we got something tonight. And, and unfortunately, we failed. And the thing I'm really struggling to kind of process and accept is the way in which we gifted Manchester United the points. The way in which we surrendered the game. To, to say I was frustrated would be putting it politely. I can't say on this podcast what I feel about Martin Odegaard's challenge. And I remember turning around, I was watching it uh, with my brothers and with my dad and we were watching the game and, and Martin Odegaard goes down one end and puts the ball in the back of the net. And I've defended Martin Odegaard quite a bit recently because I do feel like he brings something to the team that maybe people are, in some instances, choosing to ignore. You know, he does bring a greater ability to press. He does take up certain positions that Alexander Lacazette simply won't because he's a striker naturally. He does have an eye for a pass, although lately he's not always been able to execute those passes. But then he goes and does something like that. And it's completely unforgivable. You know, it's a stupid, stupid challenge to make. You know, Fred gets the wrong side. And the minute he gets the wrong side of you, if you go to ground and you come in from behind, the referee is only going to do one thing, right? The, this, the outcome is only going to be one thing. Actually, shockingly, and this just highlights the point I made earlier about how bad the officiating is in the Premier League and how in a lot of ways they're almost they're leaning on VAR a lot now is that Martin Atkinson decided that that was not a penalty kick. He, he completely dismissed it and he waved it away. And even as the most ardent of Arsenal fans, you couldn't argue with that. It was a moment of complete and utter madness. And time and time again, we we find ourselves in this position, especially when we play against uh, the so-called bigger sides where we're talking about individual errors costing us and we're talking about individual errors having a direct impact on the outcome of football matches. And this is this is what we saw again. You know, it is a it is an individual error and it's an individual error from somebody who the fans in general are not completely sold on at the moment. And he will have kind of done himself the world of good by going up one end and scoring what looked like it was going to be the equaliser and the goal that ensured Arsenal left um, Old Trafford with at least a point. And then he goes down the other end and basically gifts them the game on a silver platter. I mean, I was quietly kind of hopeful that Aaron Ramsdale, because he's just been Im immense, uh, was going to pull off a save and deny Cristiano Ronaldo. And then we could definitely call him the greatest goalkeeper of all time. Just kidding. But it wasn't to be. Cristiano Ronaldo very rarely misses those opportunities. And Manchester United won the game. And then... 
it started to, you know, again, Arsenal picked up their game again. Arsenal started controlling it. And this is what drives me bloody mad because Arsenal have it in them to go toe-to-toe, not with Liverpool, not with Chelsea, not with Manchester City, but they do have it in them to go toe-to-toe with Manchester United. For large periods of that game, Arsenal were the better side. But why were we not the better side throughout? Why do we need something to happen like conceding a goal to get a response? Why, when we do take the lead, do we sink? Do we kind of get nervous and feel this almost, the the belief being kind of sucked and drained out of us? Why do we keep ending up in these situations when we know that we can offer so much more? And that's the problem here, right? It's a team with potential, but that potential is not always being fulfilled. And in the big moments, if you're going to go and give people opportunities uh, to win games like we did and and not impose yourself for the entirety of the game, you're going to give away moments. And unfortunately, when you're talking about the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, the most clutch player there is, um, you know, that they're going to get they're going to get those moments and they're going to bloody take them. We don't. And, and that's where we are. And I talked about it. You know, we, we, we keep sinking back when we take the leading games. We just need to be braver. We just need to, you know, as I say, when we get into positions of advantage, be braver than what we are now. And, you know, it's gone from one extreme to the other because under Arsene Wenger, under Unai Emery, we were too brave. We were too gung-ho. We were too naive. And now it's kind of gone the other way. And and we keep seeing this with Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. And a lot of the time when we do sink a little bit deeper and we do uh, kind of invite teams onto us, at least in the last few months, we've been equal to them and we've been able to keep them out. But when you play the likes of Manchester United, who were very low in confidence, in my opinion, I know people said that they had a boost by going and getting a draw at Chelsea, where they, I thought they were battered at Chelsea. Uh, so I don't think the confidence was there from that Man United side. And I feel like it was a real opportunity to take something away. As I said, I'm not overly surprised that we lost at Old Trafford. I said in the lead up to the game that, you know, there was a good chance we would leave empty handed and that I wanted to see a performance and I wanted to continue to kind of see where we were going so that I can keep believing in the project, keep believing in the process, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for me, nights like this where individual errors have cost us they're really difficult to get over. And look, had we gone there and been absolutely battered and been extremely fortunate to be at 2-2 and then lost it, I'd sit there and I'd go, well, you know, it's annoying because we were in a position from which we could have got a result, but ultimately we didn't deserve anything. But I don't feel like that, which makes it all the more frustrating. Let's talk about some of the individual performances um, as well. And then we'll take some of your comments and some of your questions for the remainder of the show. But before I do that, I just want to say a massive thank you uh, to our sponsors, Pro Prep, who are sponsoring the Chronicles of Aguna podcast throughout the month of December. Now, Pro Prep is a study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. Pro Prep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course which can be accessed from any device at any time. It's already helped over 500,000 students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear tutorial videos. And after the videos, you can go through what you've learned with interactive exercises and practice questions. You can even submit your questions to the pro prep professors 
and receive a video answer within 24 hours. The guys over at ProPrep have created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website. The link is in the description below. Have a click on it. Um, check it out. You'll get more information and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. No credit card information required. That's ProPrep, P-R-O-P-R-E-P. Uh, check them out. It's the ultimate study tool. And as I say, we thank them for their very kind sponsorship. Omar says, uh, do the videos teach us how to defend an attack? Maybe. I think I'll check it out. Right, let's talk about some of the individuals, and, and I'm not going to go through every single player because I'm conscious that the comments section right now is popping off, and I want to take as many of your comments as qu and questions as I possibly can between now and the end of the show, but there's a few players I just want to discuss. Let's start with, um, with Nuno Tavares because a lot of people felt that the right decision was to... Um, was to bring Kieran Tini back into the side tonight. As I said in the lead up to this game, you can't be outraged with the decision to pick Tavares, given how he's performed overall of late. But equally, you couldn't have been outraged if Mikel Arteta made the decision to bring in Kieran Tini. That one for me was neither here nor there. But one of the things that I'd been critical of with Kieran Tierney in, in recent months was his kind of reluctance to take players on when he got the ball in wide areas and really attack the byline. It felt like he was being a little bit conservative. And I kept bringing that up on, on shows earlier in the season. I touched on it multiple times. I wondered if it was an instruction. I wondered when we found out afterwards that he'd been carrying an injury, if that had something to do with it. But I saw that from Nuno Tavares today as well. I saw a player who last weekend was willing to be brave, bold, drift infield with the ball, go on the outside, um, you know, attack people, have shots. And and again, I, I don't know this for sure, but if you've seen Kieran Tierney do that in certain fixtures and then you're seeing Nuno Tavares do it, a player who, or, or a player for whom that kind of reserved approach is, is completely out of character, I'm wondering if there was a bit of instruction there. I'm wondering if he was told that he needed to hang back a little bit today and be a little bit safer in his play. I don't know, but I just found him, I didn't find him bad. You know, I thought he probably could have done a bit better for the second goer. He got caught in a, in a position high up the pitch and he never really, in my opinion, made the effort to get back and, and help out. I will watch the game again um, in the morning as I always do. And I will probably look at the goals individually and we'll break them down on the tactical analysis. But I, I felt like he got, Slightly caught out there, but just overall in general, I didn't think he was bold or or brave. And that's not what I associate with him. Moving into the midfield, uh, Thomas Partey, I thought for the most part, was poor. I thought he showed flashes of brilliance and moments of, oh, you look, there's Thomas Partey. You know, that's the guy we paid £45 million for. And in other moments, he looked awful. Again, off the pace, sloppy in possession, giving the ball away, slowing the turn. Um unaware of his surroundings. And it's, you know, I've talked about it before and I've get, got slated. I am concerned by Thomas Partey's form. You know, are we seeing a Thomas Partey who is maybe not 100% fit? Maybe, but how long are we going to use this excuse? I mean, it just, it keeps, you know, every single week he's, he's selected, he plays, and then we come away from it going, well, uh, you know, Thomas Partey wasn't at his peak condition. He wasn't fit. He wasn't ready. But this is becoming a bigger thing now for me. You know, he, he didn't look great tonight. And actually, the fact that Mohamed Elneny came into the side 
probably was one of our better players tonight and looked a lot more comfortable than Thomas Partey, I think tells you a lot about where the Ghanaian is at at the moment. Now, I know that Mohamed Elneny, in terms of what he does with the ball, in terms of what he does with his distribution, is, is obviously a lot safer in general. And naturally, when you play the sideways pass or the backwards pass and always take the safe option, something that Mohamed Elneny is always criticised for, you will give the ball away less and you will look tidier and you will not be the one that comes out of a game like this looking sloppy. But I just feel like Thomas Partey is is really struggling with the pace of things at the moment. He gets closed down. He doesn't know what to do. He turns into trouble. Um, his passing is not as accomplished as it maybe seemed when he first joined the club. I, I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on what the problem is with Thomas Partey. I mean, people will say that, uh, you know, he's he's better off being partnered with Lokonga. I don't think he's looked that much better when he's played with Lokonga. People will say that he's better off being partnered with Aitlin Z, the Niles. Again, I'd say the same thing. What people don't want to say is that Thomas Partey looks a lot better next to Granite Xhaka, but that's a story for another day. But, you know, it is for me um, a, a concern and a big worry. Gabriel Martinelli played on the right, you know, given his opportunity off the back of that wonderful goal against Newcastle at the weekend, he deserved the opportunity. And I thought overall he did pretty well. I thought he worked incredibly hard. He hassled, he harried. He did pretty much what was asked of him. He did chip in defensively as well. Missed a really good chance in the first half. And, and that for me was, um, you know, I talk about being able to kind of cash in and... Um, take advantage of your moments where you're on top. That was certainly one of them. It was a lovely bit of play in the corner to release him, get him inside the box. And we just, uh, you know, we, we failed to take advantage. And those moments are, are key. And, you know, at the highest level, you've got to make the most of those moments. Otherwise, you will be left with egg on your face. And you will quite often watch the other team go down the other end into the pitch and score and make you rue that and make you you know, regret it. And and that's what we saw. But overall, I thought Martinelli gave a pretty good account of himself. Martin Odegaard. I mean, I didn't think he was good tonight anyway. I thought that he was on the peripheries of the game. You know, I thought he, he tried to work hard. I thought he tried to make things happen in a couple of instances, but overall, largely ineffective um, Martin Odegaard. And then to give away the penalty, as we've already talked about, for me, that's unforgivable. It's a moment of madness. And we talk a lot about leaders and experience. And although a lot of this team are still relatively young in years, Martin Odegaard is incredibly experienced. You know, I talked about him the other day being spoken about by the manager as a leader, a natural leader, the fact that he's the captain of Norway. Um, you know, you would assume that even though he's young, he's he's been on the scene for a while and he's someone who you could look at and trust and rely on maybe and, and maybe some of the younger players, although there's not that big of an age gap, will look at him as someone as they can look uh, as someone they can look up to. But when he goes and does stupid things like that, as I said before, he's not helping himself. He's not endearing himself to the fans. And I think for me, you know, he's ultimately the reason why we've left Old Trafford tonight empty handed. And there's no getting away from that. You know, no matter how much you want to defend him, no matter how much you want to talk about uh, the the talent that the player undoubtedly has, we're not seeing it at the moment. And on top of that, he's giving away penalty kicks at Old Trafford that are completely needless. And, and it's really frustrating. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, poor again tonight, man. I mean, 
had some opportunities that he he should have done better with. You know, I talked about, I touched on the one earlier on where he was uh, offside, but still you got to find the back of the net and let the VAR or the linesman rule it out. Um, there was an, a couple of opportunities in the first half where he got shots off and they were just completely sort of lacklustre. It was really sort of weak from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And it, and it is a frustration. I keep talking about the next phase in this rebuild being bringing in a top striker. Um, and, and I said that I didn't expect Arsenal to do that maybe until the summer. Perhaps it's, it's time we thought about speeding up that timeline because it's a big problem for us at the moment. We're not clinical. We're not seeing our striker create opportunities for himself. And when you've got an, a striker that doesn't create opportunities for himself and a lack of creativity in and around the rest of the team, then that becomes a problem. And it's no wonder uh, we're struggling to score goals. Mikel Arteta made some changes a little bit later on in the game. He brought Bukayo Saka on, on 17 minutes for Smith-Rowe. He brought Nketiah on for Odegaard. First of all, to bring, as I've said already, to bring Nketiah on ahead of Pepe was weird to me. Um, you know, he doesn't want to be at the club. He wants to leave. He is not a wide player or an attacking midfielder. He's an out-and-out striker. That change for me was was baffling. And, I, and I'll tell you why that change was baffling. You take off Smith Rowe and you take off Odegaard. And I know that neither of them had a particularly good game tonight. Look, Smith Rowe scored that goal. But other than that, I thought he was pretty anonymous. I think for me, you've taken off the two players that are capable of being creative. Okay, it wasn't happening on the night, but it only takes a moment. It only takes one good pass. So you've taken off the two players that can be creative and you've brought on a striker and shoehorned him in, in a wide position. And, and then you've brought on a half-fit Bukayo Saka. It, it didn't make sense to me, the changes that Mikel made. Of course, Lacazette came on as well for Aubameyang. That did make sense to me, I have to say. But yeah, look, really... Um, really disappointing night overall and I'm sure when we do the tactical breakdown we'll kind of go through it in a little bit more detail and try to kind of work out exactly what it is that went wrong if you know that that was the reason it went wrong at this moment in time I'm not convinced it was a tactical thing individual errors cost us uh, as always and a, a failure and a inability to be ruthless is what's led to us leaving ultimately empty-handed. Um, let's get some of your thoughts. Let's get some of your questions in the live chat box. I'm going to work my way through as many as I possibly can for the remainder of the show. Let's say a big uh, thank you to Zephyr Sanity. who says Odegaard through for Martinelli should have scored and many players Odegaard, many plays Odegaard made will go unseen. Um and he scored. He's getting the Ozil treatment. Yeah, look, I mean, Zephyr, I mean, as I said, look, I didn't think that Odegaard was great tonight. OK, I, I really didn't. You do make some good points. There are moments that Martin Odegaard can. Can contribute. And that's why I say that you shouldn't take off those creative players, not both of them, because, you know, if they're only producing it every now and again. But you take them off the pitch, then. You know, what? what is someone who isn't a creative player going to produce? That's kind of my way of looking at it. So I, I do agree with you. There were a few moments. He did score a goal. But he undone all of that when he went down the other end and made a stupid challenge that you or I wouldn't have made on Fred and ultimately surrendered the game to a really poor and average and boring and uninspired Manchester United side. 
Fortunately for them, they have the players to take those opportunities when they come along, but they weren't good tonight. I felt that Arsenal were the better side. I really genuinely did. That's not me defending Arteta. That's not me defending anyone. Overall, I thought a draw was probably a fair result, but if I was going to lean one way, I'd have leant towards Arsenal. So to go and hand Manchester United the game with a stupid error like that, that for me is unforgivable. Unforgivable. And it undoes all the great things that you've mentioned. Although I do acknowledge that they occurred, obviously. Uh, Mile Haiguna, thank you so much for your kind donation, mate. Really appreciate it. He says, it's a young squad. We are taking our lumps. But we've been improving in these bigger matches. We're still raw. But let's keep the faith and support our lads. Yeah, look, the, the reason I always do a follow-up show, and, and in a lot, of time, a lot of instances, it's more of a tactical look at the game, is because I do recognise that in the heat of the moment and, and immediately after a game, you can allow emotion to take over. And that can skew your view of things, right? And that's why I always watch the game back the next day and why we always look to produce more content over the coming day, or in the following days after a game where we do continue to keep the focus on it. Because I think it's important that you look thing, at things calmly. What my issue is here is that I do feel like we went to Old Trafford, I said it earlier on, and went to toe-to-toe -to -toe with Manchester United. The fact that I can even put up a case that says Arsenal went to Old Trafford tonight and were the better side is a testament to the fact that we are improving and we are moving in the right direction overall. I think for me tonight, the big, big frustration is not the result. You know, I, I said, and I keep saying it, I was quite open or understanding of the, the fact that we were going to Old Trafford tonight and there's a good chance we come away with nothing. But when you give it up that way, when you surrender the game in that nature, it's impossible to take well. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the, what Martin Odegaard done tonight is the kind of thing that had Granite Xhaka done it, we'd all be up in arms. And I've defended Martin Odegaard, but even I can't defend him tonight. And I'm livid and I'm furious about it. Maybe I'll come to forgive him. <laughs> but right now, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling sick to the stomach about it. I really am. Uh, let's just cover off the super chats and then we'll come back uh, to the wider chat box. They, oh, we've got loads coming in. Thank you so much for all your kind donations, guys. Uh, Guion's Joy says, Harry, thanks for the therapy session. Arsenal strikers are misfiring. It's as simple as that. Arteta will get his striker next summer. Yeah, look, I, the striker thing is a big problem. You know, we did a video the other day, uh, a podcast the other day, five strikers I'd like to see Arsenal consider signing in the summer because I feel that that is a big issue. I feel it's an area in which we could dramatically improve. The problem is we're just going to have to make do at the moment. You know, the transfer window's closed. As I say, has what we've seen in the last few weeks made Arsenal maybe think, rethink the timeline as to when this is going to happen? Are we going to see Arsenal move for someone in January perhaps? But, um, you know, it's... It's a concern. It's a worry. And it ultimately, right, we can sit there and we can talk about individual errors. We can talk about not being ruthless enough in certain moments. We can talk about not being brave enough. What this all culminates into, though, is the fact that in comparison to somebody like Manchester United, in the final third, we don't have the same quality. It's It, it, it can boil down to something that simple. I don't, I don't rate Maguire. I don't rate Lindelof particularly. I don't think that 
Dallo or Tellez are particularly good fullbacks. So in all the other departments, you know, I think we're okay. You know, I think we can compete with Man United in the other departments, even in the centre of midfield with Mohamed Onneni in it tonight. I didn't think we were completely battered, overrun or anything like that. But we are lacking quality in the final third. And you can have all the build-up play in the world. If you don't have the quality to put the ball in the back of the net and, and take advantage of those moments, then you're going to fall short. That's the reality. Uh, big thank you to Saeed Abdullah for your very, very kind uh, donation. He says, Katie is too good to be on the bench. He's been wasted. Let's be honest, if Arteta keeps benching him, what does that say? He's been treated unfairly for me. I think that you will see Kieran Tierney come back in in the next game. I think that Nuno's performance at Liverpool wasn't great. I said again, you know, I said it time and time again, I, I didn't want to see him crucified or, or completely frozen out off the back of that. But tonight, he didn't give us what Nuno is in the, the team to give us. And that is that unpredictability and attacking threat. There was none of that tonight. He was so reserved. And I'm not really sure, as I keep saying, whether it was instruction, whether it was down to him, what exactly it was. But he didn't give us that attacking prowess, in which case you were better off going with Kirantini, who might have defended certain situations a little bit better. Uh, Zephyr also says uh, we lost the match because uh, a lack of Partey, because of Partey's lack of leadership and quality. Odegaard's mistake happened due to frustration and trying to make stuff happen. Right. Uh, let's take uh, some more of your questions and thoughts. Pop a little cue in if you can at the beginning of the questions because the chat is popping off and it just makes it much easier for me um, to be able to uh, pick them out. Uh, from the chat box while you're doing that while you're popping some questions in uh, let me just quickly remind you that our draw for the arsenal shirt will or the two arsenal shirts that we're giving away is going to take place tomorrow um i think we're going to do a special stream maybe a little bit later on in the day i'm just trying to think of what i've got on tomorrow timings wise um let me think let me think let me think uh you know what actually Let's extend the deadline just slightly. Let's extend it so that, because I said that the deadline was tomorrow, Friday the 3rd. Let's extend that deadline up till midnight tomorrow. So make sure if you haven't entered already, you, you, you do so. If you're on Twitter, go over to at Chronicles underscore AFC. Check out the pinned tweet and follow the instructions. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel as well so that you can go into the draw. If you don't have Twitter, you can email me chroniclesafc at gmail.com. And I've received loads and loads and loads of emails. I thought I'd only get a handful of emails. I've got to be honest, but it seems like the majority of the entrants are coming through email. And I've honestly been so uh, taken aback by some of the positive emails uh, that I've had about the podcast and the channel. I really, really do appreciate um, all you guys' kind words. I'm not going to give the shirt to the person who uh, who said the nicest things about the podcast, but uh, it is great to read. So thank you all so, so much. Uh, right. Let's take um, some of your thoughts. Uh, Siam Gosh says, Harry, the team is at best the seventh best squad in the league. Probably it will perform like the seventh best team, right? Look, I, I still think that, you know, Thierry Henry was talking in the build up to the game tonight, wasn't he? Um, he, he was talking about the fact that, 
you know, the opportunity was there for Arsenal to go and take fourth place and then stay there tonight. He wanted to see Arsenal, in his words, make a statement. And I think that's right. You should always be aiming for the best, for the best case scenario. You should always aim to achieve your maximum. But as I keep saying, my objective for the season, in my personal view, has not changed. It's still for Arsenal to finish in the top six. It's still for Arsenal to get back in Europe. And if, you know, we we manage to challenge for the top four in the process, then that's bloody excellent and let's keep at it. But I don't think we're the seventh best team. I think we're, we're slightly better than that. I think we are more than capable of finishing in the top six. And I think that's got to be the aim. I think there's got to be, you know, a lot of people outside of Arsenal, kind of when we're playing poorly, are very quick to, you know, make, call it a crisis, make it into a big deal. But equally, when we go on a decent run, they turn around and say, no, we're we're ready for a top four challenge. And actually, the 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 truth is probably somewhere in between that, right? So for me, it's still about making the top six. It's still about um, it's still about getting back into Europe. And what happens tonight doesn't undo that. You know, go get three points at Everton on Monday. Go and get three points off of Southampton. And then you've taken six out of nine again, which is top top six form. You know, and and if we manage to pick up points at that rate over the course of the season, we will be there or thereabouts. Don't get sucked into this top four thing. If we're there or thereabouts come the end of the season, then we can talk about it and we can, uh, you know, map out the potential route back into the Champions League. But we've seen, just like we've not been horrendous at times, like some people have made us out, we've not been amazing either. As I say, the truth is somewhere in between that. So let's not overreact when we get beat. But equally, let's not overreact when we win. That's That would be my message. Uh, what else have we got? Afsar says, moon the likes. Yes, please do hit the like button. There are lots of you watching. Over 300 of you watching at the moment. But we've only got 85 likes on the board. That's on YouTube. So please do hit the like button. It really, really does help. Uh, Matt Tomo says, thoughts on VAR not reviewing Maguire's foul on Tomiyasu. I'm mad, can't lie. Uh, mate, I think you're right, but it's the old Trafford effect. We've talked about it for years and years. It's not going away. It's not changing. It's not as strong as it once was, because I'm sure that had Sir Alex Ferguson been in charge of Man United uh, this evening, Emil Smith-Rowe's goal would have been bloody chalked off somehow. They'd have found a way to do it. It, it was frustrating. I think when I've watched it back, and, and again, I'm going to watch the game back in full uh, in the morning, but I think that the foul started outside of the box. So I don't think it was a penalty. So I wonder if they did look at it, look at it, identify that it started outside the box and therefore nothing was made of it. I don't know. I, I don't know that for sure. But it, 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 you know, it is frustrating when you see things like that. And there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, Thomas says, was Pepe a better option to come on instead of Enketia? In my mind, yeah. But obviously, something's not right with Nicolas Pepe. Obviously, Mikel Arteta um, doesn't see him as, as that high up the pecking order at this moment in time. I don't know what that's down to. I don't know if there's been a falling out. I don't know if there's been some kind of conversation. Maybe he's not happy with the way he's training. I, I don't know. But me personally, yeah, I, I think he would have been. I really do. Uh, Side says, uh, do you think Gabby deserves another chance on Monday? 
Um, yeah, look, he didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, I, I don't think he did anything wrong tonight and I wouldn't be against him playing again on Monday, but I think Bukayo Saka, if he's fit, will, will come back into the side if I'm honest. Uh, let's see what else. We've got lots of questions coming through, so I will inevitably uh, have to skip out some of them. I do apologise. Um, let's take this one from uh, Sajal, who says, where is it? Um, who, according to you, currently has more chance of achieving fourth place? Spurs, Man U, West Ham or Arsenal? I've said it throughout, mate. Uh, you know, I said from the beginning that uh, that Manchester United were the favourites to finish fourth this season. Um, I think right at the beginning of the season, I even predicted them to finish third. So I am still uh, putting Man United as the favourites to finish in, in the top four. They're not a million miles away from it. Clearly, they beat us, who some people are saying are rivals for that position. West Ham dropped points as well uh, yesterday. So, yeah, look, I still make Man U the favourites. And that's, again, why I feel like top six is probably still the realistic objective and goal. Manchester United have, as I say, a lot of quality in those attacking areas. And more often than not, that will win them games. You only need a half-decent coach at Man United to be able to find a way of getting the maximum out of some of those players. And that isn't good enough on its own in isolation to win you the Premier League. But it's good enough to finish in the top four. You know, people have been saying, oh, Ronaldo's the problem. Where would they fucking be without him? You know, he's not a problem. He is an incredible footballer who Manchester United are fortunate to have back at their club for a second time. And a half-decent coach works out a way of, of getting the maximum out of him. And uh, and I think they'll be there or thereabouts. Uh, Prince, uh, thank you for your kind donation, mate. Really appreciate it. It says we lost the game in the midfield. Didn't deserve to win. No point complaining about not getting a penalty. Our first goal was undeserved. Um, interesting. I didn't think we lost the game in midfield today. I, I didn't think our midfield was all that bad. Um, you know, I thought that the decision to put Elneny in there was was the right one in, in the end. You know, I, I raised an eyebrow at the time the team news came out, but I thought he played quite well. I thought he probably played better than Thomas Partey and nobody would have left Thomas Partey on the bench. I don't think the midfield was um, was the big problem for me. I think that we weren't ruthless enough when we got into the final third and we made individual errors at the back again. Same old story, isn't it? Uh, Ahmed says, uh, Harry, I'm a United fan. Any good things you've seen from United today? I thought Arsenal's press was great. Well, welcome, Ahmed. Um, you could have picked a better night to drop in on us, i got to say. Uh, but yeah, look, I, Man United for me are, are just a team that need to be better coached. And in Ralph Ranić, you'll be hoping that he can bring that to the table. I, I keep saying it, you know, I think that when you've got the talent that you have in those attacking areas, whether that be Sancho, Fernandez, Ronaldo, Greenwood, to have all of that is, is a manager's dream. And you only need a half decent structure behind you and you will probably win most games. So, yeah, big opportunity for Manchester United now to kind of put the Oli Reign to one side and move forward. They've got the talent there. And, and as I say, I believe that you will probably uh, still finishing the top four. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, I'm going to pick out a couple more because it is getting late. Um, Chris Carrick says, if you had to pick our biggest weakness overall, would it be tactics, player selection or management, player quality or courage and heart? Oh, how many of these am I allowed to pick? Because there's a couple that jump out at me. 
I don't think tactically we got it wrong tonight. You know, I think that is people being extremely harsh on Mikel Arteta. What could he have done differently tactically? He set us up in a formation that most of us would have picked going into the game. We had the lion's share of possession at Old Trafford. We had more opportunities than Manchester United. We had more attempts at goal than Manchester United. As far as I'm concerned, if a manager sets out a team to go out and or creates the environment from which a team, for the most part, can defend effectively as a unit, individual errors to one side, and creates opportunities to score goals, then the manager's done his job. So I don't think tactics were the problem tonight. I think there's been a few games uh, in recent times where we've struggled and you can look at Mikel Arteta and say, maybe you got this wrong, maybe you got that wrong. Not tonight for me. Um, I think player quality is the biggest one, though. You know, that's the one that, you know, you you can't fix overnight. You know, people made a lot, and I, I say this time and time again, but people made a lot of the fact that we spent quite a bit of money in the summer, but we still weren't shopping in the top bracket of players. You know, while some clubs were spending, not mentioning any names, <laughs> Manchester City, £100 million on one player, we spent that on four, five players. And that's the difference. You're you, Unless you spend and invest in the way that some of these clubs do, you're always going to get players of a lower level in terms of their quality. And then you need to be particularly good in the other areas that you've mentioned, Chris. So tactically, in terms of the, the selections, in terms of the way you man-manage them, in terms of the way you in-game manage, and the whole courage and heart stuff, all of that needs to kind of be amplified to make up for the difference in player quality between ourselves and the likes of Man United, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of City, the likes of Chelsea. So, uh, yeah, really good question. I really, really like that one. Um, thank you. Let's see what else we've got, because I'm going to just take one more. It is midnight here in the UK. I'm shattered. I've been working all, um, all bloody day. And then I had to sit and watch that shit show. And uh, I'm tired and I've got to wake up in the morning and watch the game again, which I don't really want to do at this point. Uh, so we're going to pick one more question and take this one from Blue Gavels. Hello, Harry. Like you a lot, especially as a fellow Guna and Greek. Thank you, mate. Uh, but what is this um, obsession with finishing fourth? We've done that for years when we were going to have a title challenge. But, sorry, we've done that for years. When are we going to have a title challenge? Arteta out. Look. This is the stuff that always comes up, right? Every time Arsenal lose a game, it's, you know, the standard is not high enough and where are we going? What are we doing? You don't go from eighth to a title challenge. You know, that 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 very rarely happens. I can think of it happening once in Premier League history. And that was when Antonio Conte, I think, took over Chelsea, took him over from a really poor position. But Chelsea had a really good squad. Chelsea had money available big money available to go out and bring players in and put that right immediately. The fact that it's, I can only remember it happening once where a team have finished so low one season and then won the title the next year tells you that it's not an easy thing to do and it's not a regular occurrence. What I would say is we want to have a title challenge. Of course we do. As Arsenal fans, we long for the days where we were challenging for the biggest trophies and the biggest prizes. But we're not there. We're a million miles from there. And it will take a series of steps to get back to that point and back to that place. 
So when you're looking at a team that, on the one hand, people are saying he's crap and he's not good enough and the manager's a rookie and he's useless and he's a waste of space, it's often those same people that say that, that go, oh, but when are we going to have a title challenge? Well, you don't go from that to that. You know, it, it takes... It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of good recruitment over a long period of time to make sure that you, you know, you, you almost have no room for error in that journey from being where we are to title challenges. But we know there are going to be errors because the people ultimately that are running our football club, KSE, the people that own our football club, they don't know how to pick the right people. They don't know how to you know, they don't know who should be in a position of power when it comes to football. What the hell do they know about football? And this is where, you know, I, I don't want to say this because I know people are going to jump on me for saying this. But this is where you have to lower your expectations and you have to make your expectation realistic. It has to be realistic. And if it's not realistic, then you're always going to be disappointed and you're always going to be frustrated. And ultimately, you can't control Arsenal's level as a fan. If if that if you want to be outraged every single week, then keep your standards up where they were in 2004 and don't ever move them. And you'll always be in that position. But if you want to enjoy watching Arsenal, if you want to, you know, for example, right, if Arsenal got relegated, let's say Arsenal got relegated. I know it's not going to happen now, but let's say Arsenal got relegated. Would you go to championship games expecting to see the same quality as you would in the Premier League? No, you, you wouldn't because you would understand the circumstances. And I'm not saying we should accept it. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to get back to the top. We just have to understand where we are. You can't fix something if you don't understand where you are. If you don't understand the problem, how do you fix it? If you don't acknowledge that Arsenal are a million miles away from a title challenge. How do you ever put the things in place that are needed to get us back to that place? You can't. So understanding where we are and accepting mediocrity are two different things. But that understanding part is missing from a lot of people. And I'm not saying you, mate, but in, in general, it's something that is missing among the Arsenal fan base. Um, you know, a, a failure to understand where this team really are. Uh, a couple of you pointing out that Leicester obviously went from a, a really poor position the season prior to winning the Premier League. And, and that's absolutely true. Completely slipped my mind. I can't believe I forgot that one. But look, the point is, OK, it's happened twice. The Premier League has been around for a long, long time. And it's only happened twice, which highlights it's not an easy thing to do. Sko says, uh, Harry, can you imagine Nottingham Forest fans moaning and moaning in 21 because in 2021 because they aren't challenging for the top four simply because they won the European Cup once upon a time? Yeah, look, that's that that's it you know history doesn't it doesn't guarantee future success you know it's something that you can look back on fondly and it makes up the dna of a club and it sets the standard among the fans and among the club in a lot of uh, you know in a lot of ways but you can't always maintain that and and that's that's where we are look the premier league is is becoming a more and more competitive league with each passing year it's becoming more and more difficult to find perfection and to find the kind of consistency that Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea have. I mean, they're freaks. All of them, they're freakishly good at this moment in time. Uh, let's take this one uh, from Deflected Mind. Come on, Harry, what is this obsession with Arteta? Why not move on to a better manager? 
when like uh, this is what I don't understand, right? Now correct me if I'm wrong in the chat because this this irritates me. At what point tonight during this reaction podcast have I said that Arteta was fantastic and he's the best manager in the world and none of what happened tonight is his fault? At what point have I said that? I, I actually said I thought he got the changes wrong. I thought he took off creative players and left us with none on the pitch and shoehorn players into positions they don't belong in a desperate attempt to try and get us back into the game and it just didn't work. I said that I'm worried the the fact that we keep dropping off teams when we, um, you know, when we take the lead. I, I said I'm worried about the fact that we drop off teams and I don't know, but I wonder and I worry and I'm concerned about whether or not that is an instruction. I raised the point about Nuno Tavares and the fact that he wasn't as bold and brave as he normally is in attack. Is that something that he's instructed to do? I asked that question, but apparently I'm I'm obsessed with um, with Mikel Arteta. Look, he's not getting sacked. He's not going anywhere at this moment in time. And it comes back to that old thing again. You can either sit here and you can back and support your team and have constructive discussions about what it is that's going wrong, what it is that needs to change and what it is that needs to improve. Or you can sit there and moan about something that isn't going to happen today, not tomorrow, not the day after. You can sit and ask for a manager to be sacked when he is in zero danger of being sacked. It's a waste of breath. It's a waste of time. Instead, let's try and look at what it is that's going wrong. Let's try and understand what it is that might be holding us back in certain fixtures and, and try and be productive about the discussion. I, I just don't understand the, the, the clamour around Mikel Arteta and people saying, you know, oh, stop obsessing with him. Just move on. I'm not obsessed with him. I'm not obsessed with him. If Antonio Conte was available tomorrow, I would take him in a heartbeat. I'm not obsessed with Mikel Arteta, but he's in the job and like it or lump it, he ain't going anywhere. So why not spend our time discussing stuff that is actually relevant, like what it is that Arsenal are doing wrong or what it was on the night that didn't go our way, rather than having irrelevant discussions about the sacking of a man who just isn't getting sacked right now. Anyway, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, as always, uh, for tuning in. I know it's a really, really late one. Uh, that's what happens when you get an 8.15 kickoff. Not ideal, but I do really appreciate so many of you staying online uh, with me and uh, joining the discussion. Hopefully tomorrow I'll be able to bring you a little bit of a calmer response, um, a little bit of a more uh, informed response. Obviously, when you've just seen the game, I haven't watched it back yet. I haven't um, really had a lot of time to process it. But just to kind of summarise an overriding feeling of frustration, because I didn't think that we deserved to lose the game. I didn't think that Manchester United were better than us. I didn't think that... Um, we deserve to come away completely empty-handed. We are in a place now where we are on a journey. We are trying to improve. I wasn't, you know, the fact that we lost to Old Trafford is not something that, again, is going to, just like the Anfield defeat, is not going to derail um, my overall opinion on on where the club are headed. But to lose in that way is, is of course, incredibly frustrating. And maybe it will get easier. Um, you know, maybe it will get easier. Uh, over the next sort of 24 hours to kind of look back on it and, and reflect on it. But it is it is tough to take. It's tough when a player who you have 
defended quite a bit from what I felt previously were over-the-top critics, goes and does what Martin Odegaard done this evening. It is what it is, though. You know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, let me just quickly uh, take this uh, super chat from Gunners. Thank you so much. He says, it's been a long and hard time for us. Good times are coming. We'll hit that top spot if we go in deep, but it's not a piece of cake to do it. We will hit the cream pie. Lovely words uh, to finish off the show on. Right. I will catch you all tomorrow with our tactical analysis of Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2. Don't forget to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. In fact, we've uh, crossed the 100 like mark. Let's try and get up to 150 by the time the outro plays. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. And if you'd like to go one further, you can become a member by clicking on the link in the description. Big thank you to our sponsors, ProPrep, once again. Check out their fantastic product. You are eligible for a 30-day trial now without putting in any card details as a Chronicles of Aguna listener. Check it out. Link is in the description. If you keep supporting them, you keep supporting us. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, good night. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.